0: Father God, we thank you that uh, we are hitting the final segment, talking about stewardship. And uh, Lord, this is the segment that's really the most exciting, because if we've been faithful all the way along through the other four stages, there should be a tremendous amount of blessing that can come from the increased goods that can be donated to your service to advance your kingdom. So guide us with your wisdom and your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: All right, so today we're talking about enjoying the rewards of financial faithfulness. It seems like, you know, a lot of times we talk about the hard part, the, the budgeting and the sticking to it and, the, and being frugal and being careful, and sometimes it just seems like it's all a whole bunch of work, but it's really not. There's so much um, benefit and so many rewards in it. So that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today, the fun part.
0: You know, even though even though we talk about other oh, budgeting and sometimes you know living simply and stuff like that, uh, it's kind of funny because in that book, uh, the cheap complete the complete cheapskate, she said it's kind of a game and it's kind of fun actually when you see how you can save money and how you can pay down your debts quickly and uh, and you can start to accrue capital. So it, it's a fun thing for Elsie and I. We were talking a little bit yesterday about how. When the kids go shopping, you know, it's totally appropriate. If we're faithful to tithes and offerings, you know, try me and see if I want to open the windows of heaven, pour you out a blessing so they won't be able to receive it. To pray, say, all right, God, we need to, some new clothes for school or we need some good used clothes for school. And so just help us to maximize your resources for your glory.
1: So this is the book he's talking about, The Complete Cheapskate. <clears throat> I meant to talk a lot more about this on Wednesday when we were going over lots of ways to try and save to make education work. This was a good book. And I also, we also forgot yesterday to talk about the books that we had. I had them all up here and then we forgot. Um, if you know, We were talking about investing and if you're really wanting, if you really are ambitious and want to do it on your own, this is the book that I highly recommend. Um, it's called Sound Mind Investing by Austin Pryor. Um, we both read this book and probably read it more than once and I still didn't feel comfortable doing it on my own. <laughs> still felt like, you know, you know, and actually we did have a pretty good idea but we just needed somebody to bounce an idea off of, you know, like are we way off base and, and so when we went to a financial planner just to get some help, a kingdom advisor, certified mm-hmm. kingdom advisor, um, we did have a, already a basis of knowledge and that came from this book which is really great. It's, um,
0: I don't Michigan? know. To me, it's just. No, uh, by the
1: way, this is a very old version. The yep. newer ones do not look like this.
0: Yeah. And it's, to me, it's just when you find somebody who is totally going on the Bible teaching as they lay out the biblical principles, it is really refreshing to work with that kind of mindset. It's like, oh, somebody else gets it and. They can even tweak and, and expand your knowledge a little bit of what the Bible says about finances. And it's like, wow, I never thought of although it from they, that way.
1: Although he does not really, um, he's not a big proponent
0: of um, screen funds. Yeah. And that's the part I don't agree with him on. Yeah. I'm a but big, you know what?
1: Everyone has their own, their own beliefs on that. And there's here's two other books Larry Burkett has a book, um, Investing for the Future and First Time Investor. These are also good books. Um, today, well, we'll get to that. Um, so this is just a review. Monday we talked about biblical principles. Tuesday we talked about the early years, um, probably before kids, but getting you know thinking about getting ready for that houses, cars, insurance, just all that kind of stuff. Uh, Wednesday we talked about the the stage of life where you've got kids and you're working on financing education and and teaching them. Yesterday we talked about getting ready for retirement and um, saving. Versus giving, (laughs) the whole uh, balance of that and uh, investing. And today, we're going to be talking about the last stage
0: of life. So before we get there, though, there's one, one thing from yesterday. You know, honestly, if you're carrying debt all the way through until you get to that last stage, when you figure out how much you've actually paid in interest versus paying it down quickly and how much money you would have more to give to advancing God's kingdom... what you know whichever way he calls you to do it if you can knock that if you can knock down those debts early on then you'll have more capital to invest uh, in Mm -hmm. I'm we're talking a lot more capital
1: you know we've talked about um, back on I think it was Tuesday uh, when we talked about investing early and we showed you that chart Uh, how many of you guys were here on Tuesday maybe oh, only two okay well the rest of you missed out we showed you a chart of what it was like for somebody who just invested for 10 years and then didn't invest again until they retired versus somebody who waited 10 years and then started to invest and invested all the way through retirement. Guess who had more money? The first one. That's right. That's That's the, that's the power of compounding interest, but it also compounding interest works against you when you're the one who's borrowing money instead of investing money. So that same principle is, is, exactly flipped and working against you when you're the one paying
0: it. So we talked about the concept of paying your house down. I I want to show them that. Okay. When when you pay your house down and you try and strive to do it in seven years according to the biblical principle versus a 30-year loan, you're going to probably save at least $150,000 worth of of, uh, premiums, that uh, interest that the bank would be benefiting from. Which can go towards whatever God directs you to put it towards. I was
1: going to say yesterday, you didn't say anything about paying your house, God, and having that out of the That's because that we period. talked about that earlier. Yep. So when you, if you didn't get there, you missed it. But this is, this is um, investing for 10 years first year, 1,000, second year, 2,000, then 3,000 the rest of the time, and then quitting. Um, and now I have to say, this is based on 10%, and I think that's a little high. I don't think you can actually average that, but uh, that it's just for illustration purposes. The next one didn't start until ten years later. Invested three thousand every year all the way to sixty-seven. They invested a total of one hundred and five thousand. These people only invested twenty-seven thousand. But this is what they end up with, and this is what they end up with. It's just—it's amazing. Compounding makes a huge difference. But that same thing works against you when you're paying your payments. Paying so
0: the other side too is—did you, did you have a comment, or does that include stock? Yes. You know, because, honestly, yeah.
1: Because you, that's only a. Um, that's an on-paper loss, and you only take that loss if you actually pull your stuff out. Yeah, if you leave it in there, you're going to be roller coaster running all over. But what you're looking at is you're looking at the average. And yeah, you have some downs, but then you have some years where you know the stock market's up twenty percent or twenty-eight percent. So that's why yesterday when we were talking about it. it it's good if you're going to if you're investing for the long haul. You're not speculating. You're not trying to beat the market and say, "Oh, I think it's going to go up," so I'm going to you know, I'm going to sell up here and I'm going to, that's just not the, that's,
0: that's a, uh, that's speculation. It is.
1: So just put it in for the long haul. So
0: for the long haul, when they did a research, how much the market's gone up over the years is average about 7%. That includes the dip in 2008 and all the other dips that we've had. So, but of course you have to flush out two to 3% for inflation. So that's going to subtract it out the bottom side. But if you take it out, it seems like my brother did when the market in 2008 Sorry, yeah, went down He pulled it out the bottom, he put it back in at the top, and he has a master's in business administration, that was a big mistake, so, yeah, anyway.
1: Um, But, you know, we can talk about all that stuff, but I don't wanna lose sight of the fact, on Monday, God owns it all. Mm -hmm. And number two, everything should be for His glory. It's not about how much we can amass, Mm -hmm. it's not how much we can get, that's not the point Mm -hmm. of our finances. Our finances are totally for his glory. And we have to keep that in perspective. And you know what? He's in charge of the market. He's in charge of our investments. Mm-hmm. And it all belongs to him. And if the stock market takes a, a nosedive, I said, well, Lord, you just lost half of your, you know, I, I don't know. Um, you didn't tell me to pull it out. So I'm going to just ride it with you. You know, there are, some people have felt impressed. Like, you know, now is the time to pull out. And, and, and Bob was talking about a, a quote he read in Ellen White that it, we will know when and not everyone's going to feel it at the same time if
0: we're asking god for wisdom and guidance and to direct us yes then he will guide us into when that is absolutely if we're not we won't know
1: and not everyone is going to be at the same
0: no that's right
1: so you know god impresses us on his time not ours
0: well when you when we finish out we should talk about how you know with with this increased capital that comes we're at the stage now where we should have a, a lot of excess money If we've been faithful, God usually has us with excess. Were you here yesterday?
1: Okay.
0: So with that, you know, where's, you know, it's kind of interesting. We talk about investing to have enough money to retire, you know, but honestly, we get creative on how we do that sometimes, but God's asking us to get creative on the excess. Remember we talked about figuring out what amount of money, what amount of money we would actually need to live. In our retirement years, and everything above that goes out to the work. All everything above that goes out to the work. So then you get creative and say, you know, it's like, how can we get the most return for our investment in the kingdom of God for His glory? And then you start looking around creatively and say, what is out there? You know, how can how much return would that get? How much return? I think that's going to do better. Let's go invest in that for uh, God for the kingdom of God. You know, we
1: have to be careful about. um, And and we talked yesterday. I'm sorry. We're going to be doing a lot of review here, but um, when we went to a financial planner early on that we didn't like, um, he said, you know what, if you're giving too much now, if you hold it back now and invest it, you can have a lot of money later to give. I don't believe in that philosophy. I think that we should be giving all the way along. So there is a a balance between preparing for the future, you know, because the ant, go to the ant, thou consider her ways and be wise. So we need to be proactive in preparing for the future but that can't be our all-consuming focus, because God wants us to be generous now. And there are people who need to be divesting themselves of their investments now for his kingdom.
0: For example... And we're this, never
1: going to get to this if we keep yesterday.
0: Um, I just got a thing on Facebook today that one of my classmates from RIB Academy at age 56 died. Out of the blue. You know, And uh, whatever they were planning for financial things, you know, like that's going to be stunted and and stopped. It's not going to go any further. His wife's going to have to figure out what to do. You know I'm saying? Life is short. We just don't know. So we have to ask God to guide us and He'll tell us what to do, when to do it, because He knows how long we're going to live and what best way to advance His kingdom. In fact,
1: this is what this verse says. Isaiah, who is this for? Do you remember who this was? Hezekiah. Hezekiah. Isaiah came to Hezekiah and told him what? You're going to die. Set your house in order. Well, you know what? That could be said of all of us. Yeah. Hezekiah was actually told when he was going to die. We don't know that, but we all do know that we're going to die, right? Provided we're not, and you know, the Lord doesn't come before then. God gave Hezekiah a beautiful opportunity to put things in order, gave him a heads up. I kind of sometimes wish God would come to us and say, "You know what? You got you got two years left. Get it ready." Or you know, you have fifteen years left. You know, He doesn't. So he wants us to be proactive in, in being ready at all times for whatever. You know? And that, that's not just our finances. That's our salvation. We should always be in, living in a spirit of readiness, not sometime in the future. But anyway, the, and our the next verse.
0: Psalms 90, verse 10. The days of our lives are 70 years. And if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. So that's the general trend, but like, you know, Pete found out at age 57 or so, he died. And um, so you just never know. You always have to be ready.
1: So, how do we get our house in order? That's really what today's is about. And we want to spend a little bit of time talking about how we get our life in order in preparation for um, dying. So, first thing,
0: wills. Let your kids know you have a will. So,
1: but not just letting your kids know. We're wanting to have our will so that our kids
0: aren't they're not fighting, fighting amongst each that. other. Yeah. So, um, so there's a book called Splitting Hairs. Heirs.
1: I know, but I just said, you know, it, it's it's a play on words. It it's is a play splitting hairs, yep. Yes. Um, that we have based a lot of what we're talking about today on, so that's a really good book. But um, hopefully, if we're doing things the way that God wants us to do it, we can prevent that that infighting at the end, and that's really our goal. because we, we want to glorify God. We don't want to cause a whole bunch of turmoil.
0: It's kind of hard because you know, honestly, if you have children, um, there is a chance that some of them will not be in the Seventh Day Adventist Church. And uh, so we're hit that later? Yeah. Okay.
1: Okay, so um, Proverbs talks about leaving an inheritance to our children's children. A lot of you, I probably already know this. Proverbs 13, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. So Proverbs talks about leaving an inheritance, but Proverbs also gives some balance. It's not just one side. So we're going to look at some of those.
0: Right, houses, uh, Proverbs 19, 14. Houses and riches are an inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord.
1: Okay, and then as we go on, a wise servant will rule over a son who causes shame and will share an inheritance among the brothers. So guess what? An inheritance is not just for the kids and grandkids, is it? Especially if you have a son who may be causing shame, at that point, You know, even a servant might be involved in that because the son needs a little help. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Oh, do you want to? Yeah. One of the things we need to realize, the context of when this was written. Oh, that's right. um, Because back in those days, you know, the parents had a house and they had all their kids and things. And so then they passed the trade that they had down to their children. And their children would often live with them. And so you would have the older parents with the children living with them. And then as they would die off the house, they would assume the house. And they would assume all the it's farm the implements and the land and all the things that are with that. Today, the equivalent of that would be... Uh, this is, our, this is, this is, this is our interpretation of it. Is that we're, you know, if your parents help you get an education, you have... Or trade. Or trade. You have the trade part of it. And through that trade and faithfulness in it, you'll be able to provide the house for, and for your family. So, what I don't think the Lord's saying today that, you know, when you die, you need to inherit a house for your, each of your children. They need a house, and they need riches. I think, rather, um, you have, if you've given them that education, they have the tools that they need to have an income and provide for their own house, Uh, And they have the trade.
1: And you know, I also think that when you're talking about houses and riches, um, houses is pretty self-explanatory. But there is riches that go beyond money. Mm -hmm. For me, the biggest inheritance I will ever receive is a godly upbringing, and I thank my phones for that. They happen to be here. To me, that is the best inheritance I could pass on to my own kids. It's not the money. It's, it's the salvation that's way more beneficial and way more um, worth a lot of money <laughs> than, right. than money itself. So,
0: yeah, um, between that, the work ethic we talked about last time, learning how to live a simple life and to budget it, um, all those together are a legacy. And, and our inheritance, yeah.
1: that's right. So you Proverbs right? 20,
0: verse 21 An inheritance gained hastily at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. And I have two stories on that. Um, one of them, when I was going to college, this guy's named Chuck, his dad died. He was a sophomore in college, and his dad had left him $60,000. He promptly pulled out of college to go and invest that money so that you know, he could make a lot make, of money. Make a lot of money. You know, that's what he wanted to do. You know, I can't remember what the end of the story was on that, but I got a feeling that he went through the money pretty quick, and then it was probably worse off than he would have been if he'd just gone to college and finished it out. And there's another one that is really close to to my house in in Edmore here. If you go over there to Neff Road, you'll see the old Maxwell House is where we used to live when my parents lived with us. Uh, Across the street from us, there's this big, huge tree. And what happened was some uh, father died and left a large amount of money to his children who were in high school. They went out and bought sports cars. And so the son and his girlfriend and one of his friends went as you turn off M46 on an F, he punched it. And he was going over 100 miles an hour when he went up that over that little knoll, lost control. He spun and cartwheel and he hit that tree. He and his girlfriend died. The other guy had to be life-flighted out. Later, he would overdose on drugs. I did his funeral. But I just think about how this is there, you know, it says an inheritance gained hastily. Hastily, all of a sudden, they got the money. They, they didn't have enough. Um, wisdom to know what to do with it. They misused it, misappropriated it, and it hurt them badly. So we have to be careful as parents, too, that as we make our wheels and trusts that we don't set our children up for failure. Um,
1: Absolutely. You know, um, we're going to be going on and and talking a little bit. um, We're really focusing about wills at the end of life. We talked um, on day two about the need for wills when you're early in your life for your children because, um, you know, a biblical mandate is that we're supposed to provide for our family, right? So um, we do need to take care of our kids as long as they are dependent upon us. But there comes a point, especially as you're looking towards the end of your life, your kids are no longer dependent on you um although I still call my mom sometimes (laughs) mom I need help no but (laughs) Uh, what was it oh today I needed the the ovens because I needed to (laughs) bake something but um when you get to that point especially you know if you've um been doing biblical finances all the way along your kids are established they're not needing your money at the end of life are they no they, they are established so now now what do you do with your finances So we're going to be talking about that. (laughs) Children's children? Oh, this is another good quote. Um, This quote is actually in this book, which we've been talking a lot about. We really like that book. Each of us is responsible for our own stewardship. We cannot discharge it by merely transferring our assets to others, even our relatives. If we give them to another, we make that person responsible for our stewardship, and then we become accountable for the way he or she uses that money. Does that make sense? And I talked about that. On, we talked about that on the first day. If you, um, if you contract your house to some, you know, you, you hire a contractor for your home and he subcontracts it out and there's a problem. Who do you go to? The contractor. Exactly. You don't go to the subcontractor because the contractor is the one who you made a steward of, of your money to build yourself a house. It's the same thing with God. When God has given us resources and He has encountered, he's given us the responsibility of being stewards and we subcontract that out, we're still responsible, aren't we? It just, when I read that, it blew my mind. It's like, oh my goodness, I need to think about this an entirely different way. So she's talking about when we give a gift, then that is out of our hands. And you're right, that's a gift. But if we give it to somebody else to do for us, then yeah. That's true. Absolutely. We talked about that, too, because everybody in here has a will, whether you know it or not. It just may not be the will you want it to be. <laughs> okay, this is a really long one, and I am sorry. I hope, it's,
0: I hope you can still read it. All right. There are aged ones among us who are nearing the close of their probation, but for the want of wide-awake men to secure to the cause of God the means in their possession, it passes into the hands of those who are serving Satan. This means was only lent them of God to be returned to Him. But in nine cases out of ten, these brethren, when passing from the stage of action, appropriate God's property in a way that cannot glorify Him. For not one dollar of it will ever flow into the Lord's treasury. In some cases, these apparently good brethren have unconsecrated advisors. They've had who counsel them from their own standpoint and not according to the mind of God. Property is often bequeathed to children and grandchildren only to their injury. They have no love for God or for the truth, and therefore this means, all of which is the Lord's, passes into Satan's ranks to be controlled by him. Satan is much more vigilant, keen-sighted, and skillful in devising ways to secure means to himself then our brethren are to secure the Lord's own to His cause. Some wills are made so loose a manner that they will not stand the test of the law, and thus thousands of dollars have been lost to the cause. Our brethren should feel a responsibility rest upon them as faithful servants in the cause of God to exercise their intellect in regard to this matter and secure to the Lord His own. Four Testimonies, 478, paragraph 1.
1: Um, so that's why... <laughs> Um, we really believe in, in making your will. Um, our conference, in fact, we've asked... Dean Hall. ...to come in and, and answer any questions that we might have about this, um, because we want to spend some time on that. And honestly, we haven't gotten all the way to the end of our life, so we're still learning on this stage as well, and I don't feel quite as confident in this stage. <laughs> so we're, we're bringing in somebody who has a little bit more knowledge to help us on that. And there's one more, uh, a couple pages later. You need to stand hear, in I'll front of me. It. Okay. Many manifest a needless delicacy on this point. They feel that they are stepping on forbidden ground when they introduce a subject of property to the agent or to the invalids in order to learn what disposition they designed to make of it. And, you know, I know that the conference folks really feel that. You know, they, they have to be so careful because they don't want to appear like they're, you know, just grabbing money for the conference. But listen to this. This duty is just as sacred as the duty to preach the word to save souls. That's pretty significant. Here is a man with God's money or property in his hands. He's about to change his stewardship. Will he place the means which God has lent him to be used in this cause into the hands of wicked men just because they're his relatives? Should not Christian men feel interested and anxious? For that man's future good, as well as for the interest of God's cause, that he shall make a right disposition of the Lord's money, the talents lent him for wise improvement. Will his brethren stand by and see him losing his hold on this life and at the same time robbing the treasury of God? This would be a fearful loss to himself and to the cause. For by placing his talent of means in the hands of those who have no regard for the truth of God, he would, to all intents and purposes, Be wrapping it in a napkin and hiding it in the earth. So um, I think that we need to give some serious thought to how we're going to take the money that God has entrusted to us, not our money, his money, and what we're going to do with it when we reach that stage. Now, we are, again, I'm going to just reiterate this. We are talking about people who are much further along in their life. This is the last stage of life. So if you have children who are dependent upon you or others who are dependent upon you, taking care of them is your duty to God, right? Okay, but if they are taken care of then your next duty to God is to, to use his funds the way he would want.
0: So, you know, using the power of compounding interest, we were just talking about our kids, one of the things possibly we are thinking about doing is, like drop a, a Roth IRA or something like that, that over the years it can multiply and be very large. So for a small investment of leaving them an inheritance that's not... Taking a lot, a lot of money away from the cause, uh, they can still have a pretty decent uh, amount that um, would be a blessing of an inheritance from us to them, and we could fulfill that part of, of our obligation.
1: You know, and going back to that first verse that we read, you know, um, from Solomon um, about um, leaving inheritance to your children's children. So it's not just your children. So you're also thinking about your grandchildren. And I know a lot of people who invest in their grandchildren for their Christian education or for other things. So I'm not saying that you just have to take all your money and just give it back to God. Uh, but you, you do need to realize that you are stewards of that fi- those finances, and how does he want you to, to disperse them?
0: So we've mentioned this a little bit before. I'll mention it one more time. Is uh, With my dad and mom, Faithful Seventh-day Adventists, uh, tied and offering to support it. But they have three children. One is in the church, and two of them are not. And so the struggle was, well, at first they, they kind of put things through, um, a wheel through the conference. But then it was like, I don't know if my dad was thinking, you know, it might cause further alienation from my non-believing sons uh, that might wedge them. I, I don't know what exactly dad was thinking, but then he went out and got a lawyer and he redid it. Um, and the way it's been redone is... It's uh, actually taking funds from the kingdom of God. And uh, my brothers don't need, need it. it. They make so much money. They don't need it. So it's worse it's than, worse it's than wasted, in my opinion. But so that's why I just think it's so important. So important to um, be judicious and follow this counsel that we, you we know, and it.
1: We start off by talking about letting your kids know you have a will and actually letting them know what's in the will. Mm-hmm. Um, don't wait until you die, and then they find out what's going on, and then that causes a lot of angst, and, and, you know, you just right right up front with them and say, you know, this is what, this is our money, and this is what we've decided we want to do with our money. And, you know, you tell your kids what you're doing instead of, because too often I think kids think, that's my money. And that really becomes a problem when the parents are being taken care of in the older age, Um, you know, The kids don't want to spend the money on the parents because that's their inheritance. And all the money they waste taking care of their parents is less money they're, you know, sometimes our minds can get so twisted, especially if we're not following God's counsel. So um, right off the bat, as our kids are older, you know, we're telling our kids, you know, our, our inheritance to you is your education. Don't plan on just having a windfall. Of course, not that we even have a windfall, but don't plan on getting all of our money when we die. And if they know that now, then when we, when we do pass away, it's not going to be a shock to them. He's a pastor, and he does a lot of funerals.
0: It's really hard because if somebody dies and they have no plan for the funeral whatsoever, the first thing is call the local funeral uh, coroner to come down and uh, funeral, funeral home. home. So they come in, and then you go, and you're sitting there at the table with the funeral director there. And I don't think the funeral director is intentionally trying to... You know, here's the nicer caskets, you know, and try to, you know. But honestly, um, it's pretty exorbitant. The average funeral costs $8,000 for a casket funeral in the state of Michigan. The average ca- cost is $8,000.
1: That's average, but there's some that are much higher than that.
0: Most families are not prepared for that. They're not. And uh, they'll go into deep debt for that. And uh, often there's some default loans on that as well. But uh, if you're proactive for my dad, you know, we knew the time was coming. So we went to, um, I'm trying to remember what the society is called.
1: It's a cremation society. Cremation
0: society. He
1: had decided he was going to be cremated. Yep.
0: And uh, so we contacted them. And uh, what we discovered was for $1,100 at that time, uh, a funeral director from a neighboring town funeral home would come and pick up my dad and do a really great service for us and how he made my dad look really nice, memorable. I mean, I still have in my mind, I have a picture of my dad. I think I even took a picture of dad. And, uh, and it was with all respect and all honor. And uh, I wouldn't trade the experience for nothing. But that was only $1,100. But the, if you go through the, your local funeral home, you're going to spend about $2,700 more for the very same service. So if you really are thinking ahead and you're trying to be a careful steward of God's funds, there are alternative ways to be more efficient and still get quality service.
1: And the other thing is that if you can be making those decisions when you're not in the in the midst of grief, you have much clearer head and you're much able to make a, a more informed decision. A lot of times, a lot of those decisions are made when you're just in shock and you're in grief and and families end up spending, you know, and a lot of times Bob will be there, thankfully, you know, they'll ask the pastor to come along and he'll say, you know, you know why don't you think about that or just give them a little bit of a level head because they're just going to, you know, when you're in shock, you'll just do whatever anybody tells you to do, basically, you know, and the funeral home says, this would be nice, okay, okay, because you're just overwhelmed, so if you can take care of some of those choices beforehand, um, personally, yourself, that'll make it easier for your loved ones, um, and make their life a lot easier in a very grief-stricken time, so... So um, we have a, and this is actually on your sheet, um, there's a website that kind of gives you a lot of different um, advice on funeral planning and just lots of different articles that help you get informed. That's basically what, it's It's not selling anything I don't believe on it, it's just for information.
0: All right, so we've invited Gene Hall to come from the Michigan Conference Wills and Trust Department. He's going to come up here now and... So, Gene, we just kind of gone through some Bible and Spirit prophecy things about uh, what our responsibilities are as far as stewards is.
2: Well, good afternoon, everyone. I heard you were talking about uh, wills and so forth, and I was going to start with the um, Bible precedents for that. I never realized uh, years ago that there's a Bible precedent for having a will. It's in Luke chapter twenty or chapter twelve. Remember the story of uh, the man that Jesus talked about in a parable that was so prosperous that he decided that he was going to build bigger barns to keep all of his stuff. Remember that? Mm -hmm. I'm going to read a few of the uh, verses there. It's Luke chapter 12, beginning with verse, oh, let's begin with verse 15. Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. So the framing of this parable is need to be careful about covetousness. And then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you now before i read the last sentence the goods that this man obtained as far as we know from the parable he did not obtain fraudulently or by oppression he is just a good businessman and so they're his but this is what the rest of it says god said to him fool this night your soul will be required of you what does that mean you're going to die tonight then after you die tonight Whose will those things be that you have provided? So even after death, we have a responsibility to direct our goods to where they should go. If you die without a will, it's called dying intestate, then the state of Michigan has a will for you. And um, if you leave a spouse and children, you may think that the spouse gets it all. He or she doesn't. They get a portion of it, and then the kids get a portion of it uh, as well, unless they want to waive their right to it and let mom or dad have it. If you die and leave no spouse but leave children, then they divide it all. If you die without a spouse or children, then it goes, I believe, to your parents. And if no parents are alive, then it goes to your siblings. And if you don't have any siblings, then they will look for your nieces and nephews. And if you don't have any of those, I think then they'll look for cousins. You see, I'm destroying the myth that if I don't have a will, the state's going to get it all. <laughs> they really don't. They look for anybody to give it to. But, only you can only direct where your possessions go after you die, before you die. <laughs> and that you need a will for. So, what are you going to do with your possessions after you die? The vast majority of the people that I visit with give the vast majority of their estate to their children. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, there's a precedent in the Bible for it. It's called a birthright. Have you heard of that? The birthright in the Bible says that the oldest son, I don't know if girls were included in this or not, but I believe it always went to the oldest son, he would get a double portion. And then the rest was divided among the uh, other children. Now there's also a precedent in the Bible which indicates that maybe that's not always a good idea. Genesis chapter 25 and um, verse 29. It's the story of Jacob and Esau. Now Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, "'Please feed me with the same red stew, for I am weary.' Therefore, his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I am about to die. So what is the birthright to me? Wow, (laughs) that was an expensive dinner. (laughs) Then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. So Esau was supposed to get the birthright. He didn't value it, and so he didn't get it. I know Jacob did some shady stuff to do it, but in the very beginning God intended that Jacob would have the birthright. Jacob just didn't have to resort to the means that he resorted to in order to get it. But the precedent there is that it's not always appropriate to give your estate where you would think it should be given. There's nothing wrong with giving it to your children, and certainly if you have minor children, I'll talk about that in a minute, um, you certainly want to provide for their care if you died, the same as you do when you're living. Um, But many people, most of the people that uh, I work with, leave um, pretty much everything to their children, and that's that's the prerogative, that's okay, I'm not saying that never should be done. But many of them don't think anything of God's work. But here's one thing that you should think of. Again, I'm not saying don't leave anything to your children. But consider this. Um, If you could give your children their inheritance now and still live a good life, let's say you could give away your entire estate, but then you have it again. That's not possible, but this is hypothetical. Would you really give um, each one of your children Just, you know, a lot of your estate, knowing what that child is like, and having a pretty good idea what that child would do with that money. Probably you wouldn't do that, and probably you have exercised that kind of discretion as they were growing up. They say, you know, Dad, can I have some money to go do so-and-so? Well, no. I don't want you to do so-and-so, and and I'm not going to fund so-and-so, but when we leave a bunch of money to our kids in our estate after our death, we've just funded so-and-so. <laughs> we, you, know, you, you can't be responsible for everything your children do with what you leave them after you die. But if you know their spending pattern, if you know their life habits, and you leave them money anyway, you're basically funding that. I want to share with you from uh, the spirit of prophecy. Not everyone believes in the value of the spirit of prophecy, I do, and so I'll share this with you for for what it's uh, worth. This is from Councils on Stewardship, page three twenty three. You might have shared this already. <laughs> okay, there are aged ones among us. You did? I think so. I think. Who are nearing the close of their probation? Ah, no, that's uh, fourteen four seventy eight. Well, that's it's right, it's taken eight. from there. Yeah. All right, so so you did this already. You did three paragraphs or not? Okay, it's a little bit different. I'll, I'll just reiterate it again. There are aged ones among us who are nearing the close of their probation, but for the want of wide-awake men to secure to the cause of God the means in their possession, it passes into the hands of those who are serving Satan. This means was only lent them of God to be returned to him. But in nine cases out of ten, these brethren, when passing from the stage of action, appropriate God's property in a way that cannot glorify him for not one dollar of it will ever flow into the Lord's treasury. In some cases, these apparently good brethren have had unconsecrated advisers who counseled them from their own standpoint and not according to the mind of God. Property is often bequeathed to children and grandchildren only to their injury. They have no love for God or for the truth, and therefore this means all of which, the Lord, which is the Lord's passes into Satan's ranks to be controlled by him. Satan is much more vigilant, keen-sighted, and skillful in devising ways to secure means to himself than our brethren are to secure the Lord's own to his cause. Some wills are made in in so loose a manner that they will not stand the test of the law, and thus thousands of dollars have been lost to the cause. Our brethren should feel that a responsibility rests upon them as faithful servants in the cause of God to exercise their intellect in regard to this matter and secure to the Lord. His own. Yes, we want to leave things to our children, but we have a responsibility to God. If we know that uh, our children are not living properly, then we need to be careful how much we leave to them. If you want to still leave something to them uh, to care for their real needs, you can always set that up in a trust created by your will. It's called a testamentary trust that has a trustee that's managing the money, and then the trustee decides whether or not they get to spend you know, $1,000 on a trip to Vegas or whatever it might be. The trustee would then control that. But the main point is, is that, we, that we should not forget God's cause uh, when we do that. Um, so having a will so that you can direct what happens to your estate uh, is a very valid thing. And, and even as Ellen White said there, make sure that it's done well. Uh, there is something called a holographic will. That's simply a fancy word for I wrote my own will with my own hand and signed it. And um, that is recognized. We just had a, a seminar on this with Matt Ramashko, who is an attorney here in this uh, area, and his specialty is um, probate law and things like that. Lawyers specialize just like doctors do. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's that's his area of specialty. And so he said in Michigan a holographic will is still recognized, but it's better if you have an attorney draw up the will so that the language um, stands the test of the law, as Ellen White said here. So in our department, we help people with uh, wills and powers of attorney. I'll mention that in a minute. Um, and uh, it doesn't cost you anything. The conference pays the attorney fees um, as a service to you. We want to give back to our, our, our good people, and so we pay the attorney fees. Um, So how much do you have to leave the church in order for us to do that? Nothing. We don't require that either. You can, and certainly if you want to leave something to the church, uh, you probably need a will because if you don't have a will, the court's not going to say, hey, you know, it looks like they gave 10% tithe and 10% offering all their life. We'll give 20% of the estate to the church. They don't do that. Uh, It's it's not in the list. And so you need to, to have that set up. You can also... Uh, have uh, beneficiaries designated on life insurance accounts, uh, retirement accounts, bank accounts, IRAs, whatever, and you can direct your money that way, and that's the cleanest way to do it. You still need a will, but um, that's, that's a good way to do it. Another reason to have a will is uh, if you have minor children. Now, we don't like to think about dying. Um, I'm almost the oldest one in this room, I think, but I think you got me beat a little bit, anyway. Um, and um, so, even as we get older, we, you know, as long as we're well, right? Let's keep living. You know, it's it's a good thing. Um, but when I was younger, uh, I didn't think I needed a will because what did I have? You know, I didn't have anything to give away. It's just going to be a matter of who had to pay my bills when I died. And you that's, weren't going to die anyway. No, I wasn't going to die anyway. And, and that's not true either. If, if, you're, if you're called upon to settle someone's estate, you don't ever use your money to, to do that. <laughs> so, uh, but what I didn't realize is that I had in my possession something of value much greater than money. Now was my children. And so, if I were to die, tragically, both my wife and I, leaving minor children, who is going to raise those kids? If you don't have a will and have designated in the will who the guardians of those children are, who will the guardians be? Do you know? It will be up to the courts to decide. And I've visited with enough people over the three years I've been doing this to realize that the designations that they have put in their will for their guardians would never be selected by the court. Because many many people, especially those who have become Seventh-day Adventists, and there's no family on either side that, that believe in that same way, they don't designate their brothers and sisters, which would be the uncles and aunts of their children, to be their guardians. Why? Because they want them raised the way they believe, in the church. And so they don't do that. Who is the court going to appoint guardians? The younger people, the relatives, whoever hires the best lawyer, uh, that we want the kids or whatever. So in your will, you can designate who's going to take care of the children. And you can also set up a testamentary trust for those children's care, which would be uh, regulated by the trustee that you appoint. And that trustee would determine... What the money would be spent on until I they reach the age
1: emotional back and forth of the kids. Yes, going this one that one, and
2: all of the yes, money. or or in in the worst case scenario into foster care until it could be decided. So uh, you don't want that. So if for no other reason to have a will, if you have minor children, that's that's enough reason uh, right there. There's also something our attorney is doing for us in, in this respect uh, just recently, it's called a nomination of guardian in the case of incapacity. Well, What is that? A will only comes into effect if you die, otherwise if you're living, the will is like it doesn't exist. It has no power whatsoever. So if you were in an accident, let's say, dad was killed and mom lived, but she had you know major uh, closed head trauma or whatever, and so she's living. She's not dead, but she has no ability to take care of the kids. Now what's gonna happen? Who decides? We go back to court. But this, this little piece of paper is a nomination of guardian in case of incapacity, so that when you have that paper, you can designate just like you do in your will, and now that paper takes effect because, guess what? The only living parent is incapacitated, and here's what their wishes were while they were of sound mind. So you can do that. Um, you may want to have questions like Elsina said. Um, I just want to mention the other two documents that we help with are called Power of Attorney. There's one for health care, and um, our attorney said that's the most important document you can have. The reason is um, if you had this kind of situation where you had an accident or whatever, and you're unconscious or in a coma, or later in life if you developed uh, dementia or something where, where uh, you you are unable to really make sound decisions for yourself. So if you had a medical situation and you were brought in to the emergency and you're unconscious, and this happened with my brother-in-law, you know, with his heart attack. He was unconscious for uh, three days. Uh, he's alive and well now, which we thank the Lord. But who's going to make medical decisions for him? Well, he's unconscious. He can't. But if you have a healthcare power of attorney, you will have designated a patient advocate who is able to make those decisions for you. It also allows them to receive information about you because HIPAA doesn't allow that. So if I was in the hospital and Bob came in and said, well, this is a pastor friend of mine. How's he doing? Can't tell you. (laughs) You know, HIPAA won't allow it. Well, I'm his patient advocate. Um, okay, well, uh, show me the paper. You now that makes a difference, see? So so it's very valuable to have that uh, document, and that's another one that we help you with. The other one is the power of attorney for finance. The situation is the same. You're living, but for whatever reason, you can't make decisions for yourself. Uh, and in this case, y- you may live for a while. This, this way, you've designated someone to do your finances for you. And this happened... Um, Forty-some years ago, I had a brother when he was 24 years old. He had a car accident. He had a closed head injury and um, didn't look like he was going to live. So make the hard decision to unplug. He didn't die. He lived for seven months but was never really awake, if you know what I mean. He didn't have any documents, so my dad had to go to court and file to be his guardian, conservator, whatever. And so if he'd have had the document... It had all been in place, and my dad could have served as his. It's called his attorney, in fact. Uh, one last thing I want to, to mention, uh, and I won't spend a lot of time on it. If, if we pass, did we pass those cards out? Yes. Okay. On the back of that card, it talks a little bit about a CGA. Some of you in the room are too young to really benefit from that. You need to be, I mean, you can, you can take one out any, at any age that you want, and you can even do it deferred. But it's more valuable the older you get. A CGA is a charitable gift annuity. The value for that is is for someone who wants to give money to the church. That's not in any particular order, but there are certain factors that need to be in place before that's really a valid option for you. Because financial advisors would never tell you to get a CGA. (laughs) But what it's valuable for is, is for a person who would like to leave the church money when they die... Um, and, they, and they want to have that charitable thing, um, you can do it in a charitable gift annuity before you die. But the number one fear after health issues for retired people is, guess what? Running out of money. <laughs> we don't want to run out of money. And so a CGA lets you earn income. Uh, on the gift that you, that you give. I won't go into a whole lot of detail about it. If you want more information about that, you can let us know. All right, I don't know when you're supposed to end, but um, if you have any questions, I am not an attorney, so I cannot give you legal advice. I'll give you information. Uh, and I'm not a financial advisor, <laughs> so I'll try to give you information. So,
1: what's probate? Uh-huh. And you were talking about beneficiaries. If you have, some, if you have a beneficiary, does it still have to go through probate?
2: Okay. Yeah. And no. Um, so, wills get probated, and um, basically that's for your estate. So, any of your possessions, cars, houses, bank accounts, uh, life insurance policies whatever it is, anything that's yours, is subject to probate, and that simply is the court process that oversees the distribution of your goods. Accounts that have a beneficiary name don't go through probate because immediately on death, it's it's kind of also called a transfer on death thing. So immediately at death, Whatever has a beneficiary named, it becomes the property of that person that's named. And so it's not yours anymore when you die, it's that new person's thing. So that doesn't become part of your estate because it immediately passes ownership when you die. Joint accounts are the same way. So if Pastor Bob and Elsina have have a a joint IRA or uh, whatever and one of them dies, well the other one becomes the owner because it was a joint account. This is um, uh, one thing that a lot of people do as they get older. They say, "Oh, well, I'm just you know I'm I'm getting to a place where I'm not really comfortable paying my bills. I'm going to add my daughter or my son to my account." Well, it's very convenient. The problem with that is two things. If you really are wanting to direct that as part of your um, estate somewhere else that's not going to happen because guess what? It's a joint account and it becomes the son or the daughters as soon as you die. The other difficult thing with that is if there's anything of great value in that particular account and that child of yours gets sued, well, that's their money too. So now, even though they didn't put a dime into that account, that can be sued and it it can be drawn out for that. So so generally, um, uh, attorneys say don't do that because... uh, you, you could potentially lose that again. And the things I'm talking about with you uh, are, are in, the, in the very few. You know, it's, it's not everybody's going to die young and leave kids to a guardian and those kind of things. But the one time it happens and you don't have preparation for it, then you're then you wish you would have so
1: Jean doesn't that work the other way too? If Alcina is on my account because she's paying my bills, and I have an automobile accident, mm-hmm. and they sue me for my everything that I've got because maybe somebody was injured in this automobile accident because she's on that account, they can go after her as well.
2: only what her only what her name is on your things with. So just because her name's on your checking account, she, they can't go get her house because, because you're not the co-owner of her house. So they're really going after you. And it's not that they can now go after her. It's simply that since you're co-owners of something, it's only what you'd be co-owners of, that becomes an asset. Even though she never funded it, it's her asset according to law, but it doesn't mean that it opens up everything in, in that way. Now, there's one other thing that you can do um, also uh, to avoid probate with your assets. And uh, in, uh, we have it now in Michigan. We don't know how long it will be here, but it's called a ladybird deed. So if you own property, you can get a new deed on that property, and you can put basically beneficiaries on that property. So let me use you guys for an example. So let's say that you own a house and you say, let's see, do I remember it? You have two girls? Yeah, okay. One's right here. So you say, I want to I leave my property. This has been in the family for years. It's, you know, the the thing. And, and so I want to leave it to my girls. So you can get a deed made called, it's nicknamed a ladybird Deed. It's simply a transfer on death instrument, which means that um, Ernie and... Dottie, right? No, you don't, go, you'd go by Dottie. Dorothy. D- Dorothy, okay. I, anyway, can I call you Dottie? Just- <laughs> <Not to> <laughs> sure do so, so when uh, when uh, both Ernie and Dorothy have died, Elsina and her sister immediately become owners of that property, so it doesn't go through probate either. It's like a beneficiary thing, except it's called different with, with real estate. Right now in Michigan, that, that can be done. I say right now in Michigan because the attorney's Say, you know what, laws change, and you never know how long it will last. But that also protects you against something called Medicaid clawback. Now, you've probably heard of Medicaid look-back, which means that they're going to look back over the previous five years. If you apply for Medicaid, they're going to look back over the previous five years and say, hey, what's this $50,000 you gave to Elcina? You, you know, you're anticipating things coming up, and uh, so you've, you've tried to shelter that, um, you know, we're going to charge that against you, and when you've used up $50,000 in paying for the nursing home, now we'll put you on Medicaid or whatever. That's just kind of an example. Um, They don't take your homestead for that. The assumption is that you're going to come back home. You you have to have an indication that you want to come back home. So they don't take that with a look back. But the clawback is that... uh, if you go on Medicaid and, and you rack up, it doesn't take long to rack up, you know, you'd have to have a pretty expensive home to not have it, the value of it wiped out by the ben- Medicaid benefits that you get if you live long enough. But right now, the benefit of the laid bird deed also, by besides avoiding probate, is that Medicaid can't go back in and get that in the clawback because right now they can only get probated items. So the ladybird is not probated. Uh, Now you say, oh, well then all my beneficiary accounts will be great too because they aren't probated. The problem with that is you've got to spend down. Uh, And so you're not going to have those when you die because you've had to spend them down. But your homestead, um, they let you keep up to, I don't know, what is it? I don't know what it is. It might be $500,000. Why do you
1: want to avoid probate?
2: Okay, so probate uh, costs you money. Uh, it it doesn't cost that much uh, in, the, in the grand scheme of things. It, may be, it might come out to a, and again, don't quote me on this. You can look it up online, so I'm not practicing law here. But um, I think it's around an eighth of a percent on most things. You start out with a fee of a little under $200 maybe, and then it's prorated based on how much your estate is. So you have that. Now, some people say, oh, you know, Probate drags along and, and all these kind of problems. Uh, it isn't so bad, really, except for the, what it costs you, and it helps your estate to be overseen by a court. But the reason some things drag on and people say, oh, you don't want to do probate. Well, nobody wants to do probate anyway, but, but what makes it bad is people may contest it. Well, people can contest it anyway. Our attorney in our seminar said for $20, you can go in and file a lawsuit at, at, at the court and, and challenge something. So it makes it pretty easy to say, I don't like what's in the will, so I'm so I'm gonna challenge it. So that's one of the reasons people don't want probate, is it costs a little bit of money um, and uh, it can be challenged more easily. So that if you have beneficiary things and you have your house on a Lady Bird deed, that's just changed ownerships. I don't know, I, I'm, I suppose they could File a lawsuit over that, but anyway, so you, you can sue somebody over anything. Uh, any other questions? Yes. Having a will isn't going to protect you from being from it being challenged, but it's still the best instrument so that so that um, the challenge may be a lost cause. So. Again, another reason in what Ellen White was talking about, another reason to have the will done right so that the language is right. For instance, to give you a quick, for instance that that our attorney did in our seminar this morning. Let's say that um, you have one child that uh, you really don't, you know, feel safe leaving money to. Never mind why, but you just, you, you can't do it. And this is what our attorney said today. So it used to be, I'll leave him a dollar then I've left them something and they can't contest it. He said, that's worse than if you do this other thing. And this is what we're seeing in, in wills now, that what the attorney will write in. So you say, I don't want to leave Elcina any money because I just, you know, she, w- w- we never see her, haven't talked to her for 10 years, and um, she's not living the way it would be right. I don't want to have it. So what would happen is, that in, in Ernie and Dorothy's will, they would say, the attorney would put something like this in there, for reasons personal to myself, uh, I have chosen not to leave my daughter, Alcina, any, you know, whatever. That way you see that what they did was intentional and, and it wasn't that, oh, they just forgot to leave me something. See, they forgot to put my name in there, you know, and so that's one of the things they do. But yeah, so, so right now there is a Medicaid clawback. And, and that's exactly what it is, is that um, they would have put a lien on the house and, um, so that when you die, now they can go back in and they can get the money back out of that. Now, Alcina and her sister could, could buy the farm back for what it's worth or whatever. Um, I can't remember the word that he used, reclaiming it or something like that. But, yeah, but, but that's the way it is now. Dude, just one last thing, too. Not every state has the Lady Birdie thing. Florida doesn't, for instance. Michigan does. We just don't know how long they'll have it. So,
0: Lord, thank you so much for the counsel given in the Word of God and the spirit of prophecy on how to be good stewards of your resources. Again, our, our desire is to glorify your name and be good stewards and to advance your kingdom. May that day come soon, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: This media was brought to you by Audioverse